This is the Masonic Light Podcast featuring Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. A non-stuffy, somewhat humorous approach to understanding our craft. We guarantee you'll have a good time or your money back. This podcast is not endorsed or approved by the Grand Lodge or any jurisdiction. In fact, they'll probably hate it. And now, here's our host, Pete Ruggieri and Larry Maris. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to Masonic Podcast. We're here for episode five, I believe. Is it Larry? Yes, it is. So uh, our guest today is uh, is Richard uh, Kenna. We call him I'm Dick because I guess that's what we call Richards. His name is Dick Kenna. Hello, good, Richard. Good morning. Um, and we're going to have an odd show today. We're just going to talk a lot about a lot of different things. We're going to try and follow Larry's format. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but we're going to allow uh, Dick to chime in the whole time because... Uh, we had, we had breakfast this morning. We started talking about stuff, and we had to keep stopping our conversations because they were like, no, 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 this is too good. We need this for the air. So um, a little more free flow this time. So, Larry. Yes, sir. Um, what do we have going on? What's, uh, what, what have we done since our last meeting? Well, we've had uh, a prominence. We had a great breakfast <clears throat> with Goose and Gridiron, uh, which is basically a local... Uh, breakfast club of masons that meet once a week every thursday and it seems to be growing so we actually tested a new facility out last thursday and uh we'll we'll take a vote on how that worked out okay yeah truth of the matter is that's why i'm here we were sitting discussing many topics at our breakfast and um and we realized we didn't have a guest and I made con- I made eye contact, and here I am. That's that's right. So, Larry, our breakfast place was nice because we had room to ourselves. Correct. But and and the, and the waitress, I don't know whether she's the owner. She's uh, was very sweet and very nice. Daughter of the owner. Um, I just don't think they've ever had that many people eat at their restaurant ever because four of us got our food and the rest of you sat there and stared at us while we ate. Yeah, not good. Yeah. So. Maybe we'll have to, you know, work on we'll that a to, little bit. We'll have to work on that. <clears throat> they definitely want our business, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so that was the big thing for me. Well, a bunch of fat guys. If you want to f- get our business, bring the food and lots of it. But one of the things we do want to talk about, and you were there, was the degree work we did at our lodge the other night. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was going on with the degree work? Well, you tell me. You were there. I wasn't. Uh, I know we did one Master Mason initiation, and we did three fellow crafts. Started at seven o'clock. You get so out why of didn't you show up? So why didn't you come, Larry? Because it started at seven o'clock and still was going on about eleven thirty. That's why I didn't show up. And you weren't there either, were you, Dick? No, recovering from hip surgery. Okay, so it was actually done uh, pretty well. Um, you know, traveling around the uh, the world, watching other people do degrees. I have to say that the uh, Lamberton Lodge and the First Masonic District in general does a very good job with degree work. Uh, I got pushed into the junior deacon chair, so I really didn't have too much to do other than just stand there and I chomped on candy loudly and made everybody annoyed. Um, but yeah, it was it was a nice night. Um, it went pretty quickly. Uh, we were able to do two of the seconds we did in what we call short form, basically saving the lecture at the altar or at the at lecture in the east at the end to doing it for all three guys. And then there's also the lecture at the altar. We only do that once for all three guys. So it wasn't so bad, um, but I snuck out of there and uh, I was actually home by 11. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good idea. And one of our compadres, uh, Jimmy Tully, has spent more time in the chaplain's chair in the last uh, year than he did while he was chaplain. Well, there seems to be um, a, a, a habit here of, of our lodge. We always try to find somebody with a, a speech impediment to be our chaplain. He's from New York. Yeah, so he's a, got like a Long Island accent. Uh, I guess maybe that's not a speech impediment, but it's pretty damn funny. Uh, it is. And um, before that, it was uh, Larry um, Larry Hudson. And Larry's got a very distinct, very good speaking voice, but it's very distinct. And he has some unique pronunciations of things. And when I got in, there was a guy named Ed was our chaplain. And when you're coming in in your first degree and, you know, you can't see what's going on in the room and he starts speaking, it sounds like the, 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 wor- the mouth of God speaking because he had this really high, warbly voice. And you're like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> like Count Dracula's doing my, he's offering up a prayer. But 
So I'm glad we're continuing the transit, the tradition there. I, uh, I refer to the chaplain's chair as a sleeping chair. Yeah. Until Jimmy broke it last week. <laughs> well, because he fell asleep. I broke. will give uh, Jimmy props. I think he actually did, after doing this uh, for 10 years, I think he finally decided to memorize the prayers. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, it's not, it's not rocket surgery, guys. Um, it's a very small thing to memorize. Uh, we had a funeral, so that was kind of a, a downer. I went to a funeral for the sitting master of Millersville, uh, Charles M. Howell Lodge, a gentleman by the name of Lloyd. Um, and he was a past master and he's was current master. Uh, he passed away very quickly from, uh, pancreas, pancreatic cancer, I believe. I believe. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of, that was a somber occasion, but it was, uh, you know, it's always nice to do our duty and, and show up there for a brother. And, um, a few of us left afterwards and went to, uh, have some libations in his name. So I think Lloyd would have appreciated that. He definitely would have. He was a good man, incidentally, a good man. And he was, he was master of the lodge until the day he died. Yep. Yeah. He announced at a uh, school of instruction that, um, you know, that his st status of his health and, you know, that he had probably had about six months to live and he made it probably two, a little over two, but, uh, yeah, our, our, he made it four. Okay. Yeah. But our, our, um, our principal of our school of instruction is a past master of our lodge. And he spoke and he said that, you know, he had never met anybody who was, uh, you know, able to look that in the face and be so okay with it. Um, yeah, he's obviously got a little bit more, uh, more religious faith than I do. And he was pretty secure and in, in, you know, in his future, whereas I'd be freaking out and scared to death. But yeah, I wish I could be that, that strong. Yeah, me too. You know, f funerals, particularly Masonic, are very somber, ritualistic occasions. And I think you really have to have a lot of fun at a funeral. If you can't laugh, why go? Well, yeah, I mean, there's nothing funny about the Masonic service. No, <laughs> yeah, you know. But I mean, it, you know, it's nice, you know, me coming from a Catholic background, I'm used to certain structure and, and like that. But in this area where there's a lot of Anabaptists, a lot of people that don't really have a very structured uh, liturgy, liturgy and, you know, they really get something out of the Masonic service because it's, you know, it's memorized yeah. and we, we have a, you know, a good thing that we do. I, yeah. I still think that the master who's conducting the funeral should throw a joke in there now and then. Yeah, well, that's, that's why you're never going to be district deputy, Larry. That's correct. <laughs> um. So we've had some other discussions this week. Uh, maybe we can get to some of these after after the first break. I'm going to sound like Larry here because uh, some of these things are um, going to take a little longer to discuss. Like I had for our grotto, we just went through and received a bunch of uniforms from a unit called the Big Six. Um, and that's going to be a good topic. And we also have been talking about opening up a Masonic social club here in Lancaster. So if you don't have anything else to cover, Larry, we'll go to a break and we'll come back and we'll dive right into this with, uh, with Mr. Kenna. You mean you're really going to go to a break? We're really going to go to a break. This I can't time. believe it. All I right. have to go to the bathroom, guys. <laughs> Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it, and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? 
The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're back from break, and we're here with our, our guest today, uh, Richard Kenna. So, Dick, tell us a little bit about just about yourself, your background, um, and then we'll get into your Masonic background as well. Okay, okay. I spent my life uh, working with uh, in the field of special ed uh, as a teacher, administrator, and advocate for kids and adults. So you're good with us, with Larry and I. You're I absolutely, really help. absolutely yeah. am. It really explains a lot to me. Yeah. And uh, have uh, have lived in Lancaster County since 69. Uh, I had a Brooklyn accent at one point, but I've actually tried to uh, gotten rid of it. I'm good. Smart. I'm good. Smart. Yes. But uh, from Brooklyn to Philadelphia to here, and it's it's been a uh, a crazily interesting experience. So uh, you were one of the original guys that would go to breakfast with Larry at the Grus and Gridiron, correct? I was. And you were not a Mason. I was not. Um, I've never known a Mason, except that I've known Larry for 45 years and never knew he was a Mason. And uh, my mom passed, and she was a lifetime Eastern star, and I mentioned the service that they did for my mom and said, gee, I'd like to know some more about Freemasonry. And Larry had the application on the table before I got the coffee to my lips. So Larry's pretty much uh, old school of never uh, soliciting. So that's, that's, that's right. Apparently not. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, you joined, I guess, was it five years ago? Four years a, ago? It was about five years ago, I think. Yeah. 10, 11, somewhere in there. Okay. So what did, how, what did you uh, feel about the, the experience and the process? Well, I like the process. I, I, think, I think personally the, um, the three-month process of, of going through the, the three degrees is, is pretty critical. I have been verbal occasionally about uh, the one-day classes and so forth. I went to one for one of our friends and uh, decided that I would never go back. And have not. <laughs> so what is it you you just don't think? Well, you're also part of the mentoring committee for our lodge. I am. So is it, is it because you feel like the guys just don't get anything out of it? or what? Well, I think it was far beyond, far before I became a member of the uh, mentoring committee. It's a, uh, I think it's a process of becoming a Freemason. You don't really absorb the, the things that they're trying to teach you in the first three degrees and heaven forbid you learn them all in one day. Um, you lose the person, the, the personal contact and, 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 and mentoring quite honestly has, has changed a lot of my perceptions about these young guys coming into our lodge. Uh, young guys are showing up. Uh, they're expressing an interest in becoming part of the lodge and being active as, as Freemasons and sort of kind of, tap our own back. I think that, that the, the mentoring has been a, a real good thing. Incidentally, the brother that we went to see in this one-day class didn't show up. <laughs> yes. He overslept. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife said something to him about, Pete, were you supposed to be somewhere today? He said, oh, Lord, he said, I overslept. So here we are sitting through this abominable one-day class. And, and the guy that you went there for wasn't even Wasn't there. even there. Well, he is from Lebanon County. They're a little different. Yeah, they're, they definitely are. Yeah. yeah, I'm from Philly. I'm a little different as well. So that so, works so, out well. So, Dick, tell us, um, and Larry, too, um, you guys are both on this mentoring committee. So tell us a little bit more about what the Grand Lodge expects of that and then what our take on it and is how, how we kind of spin it to make it work. I, I'm not sure what the Grand Lodge says about it, though it's probably nothing similar to what we do. Well, we, we use the Grand Lodge, their, uh, their printed material and, and so forth as a guideline, and it does help us do our thing. Uh, but I think each lodge, I know particularly the uh, effort of lodge does a few things differently than what the Grand Lodge would have them do. But essentially, we all do the same thing or the results are the same. Okay, so when, when do you start? So it, like in the normal process, we have the inve committee vest investigation, come back, we vote on a guy, he gets, you know, approved. So you start after they get their first degree or no, before? No, right? after they get approved. Okay, so what do you do? We prepare them for the worst. <laughs> 
Yeah, basically we try to answer the questions. And I think the, the real key to the mentoring is not so much what we try to teach them or what they learn, but to give them a connection to the lodge, somebody that they can call, somebody that they know, somebody that they when they walk into lodge as a, thir- as a master mason for the first time, they have somebody to sit with, somebody that's in contact with them. Uh, we teach them what they have to say and what they have to do for each of the uh, degrees. But I, th- I think the key is that interpersonal, interpersonal piece that – Miss, that's missing, was well, missing when I joined. Well, I think that's important because I'm a guy that, you know, I've always been socially active inside and outside the Masonic community. So a lot of people know I'm a Mason and I've probably been the first line signer of around a hundred petitions. Some of these guys I, I know, but I'm not really great personal friends with. Mm-hmm. And the way that traditionally it used to be in our lodge was that if you're the first line signer, now you're taking on the obligation of being the mentor and you're supposed to show up for all of these things. Well, I've not been the best guy at that because we noticed. Yeah. So, so that's the thing, you know, somebody comes up to me cause they, they see my post of something I'm doing on Facebook and I you know, knew him in college 20 years ago, but um, you know, I haven't been able to be there any more than like a few conversations to help them get their, their, you know, well, the truth of the matter is you're supposed to be at our mentoring meetings. If you're the first line signer, you, your, your absence has been noticed. Oh, excellent. <laughs> but here's the thing we know from experience, and this is, this is years and years and years of experience at the first line or the second line fellows that really are responsible for getting the people in normally should be somehow active in that participant's raising and so forth. But we know it doesn't happen. History right. tells us it doesn't happen, which is why we have a mentoring committee. So if you're not there, again, we have it covered. So what? tell us a little bit about the meetings. What, what do you do at these meetings um, between the degrees? Well, we don't drink. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, at a, I mean, it's, it's at the lodge. It's at the, generally, yes. We take a look at each of the... Each of the uh, the brothers that are coming in. One of the brothers couldn't get couldn't get to our mentoring meetings, so we went to him and had mentoring meetings at his place of business. So we're we're pretty we're pretty. Uh, uh, so you're just kind of going over what they experienced in the previous degree, and yeah, uh, each degree builds upon their, their last degree, and the things that they have to be able to repeat, the things that they have to be able to say, the structure of the of the degree. We don't get into the specifics of the degree, but we then go over the, if once they've gotten their, their first degree, we, we sit with them after that and go over what they've learned and how that, and how that tumbles into the second degree. So. Yeah, and it is interesting because uh, when you get your first degree, Dick will, will agree with this, you're, you're actually hit with a whole lot of new things. And people don't quite understand it unless they can watch a degree after that to get an inkling. But what we do in the mentoring committee, we'll go over all of that yeah. with them. We'll explain things to them so that they have a basic understanding so that when they do witness that first degree again, uh, they'll be able to put two and two together and it will help a great deal. And we do that every time they're raised to an additional degree. And after they become a master mason, we pull them back in again, explain to them what they've been through, and we give them the word again. The, um, the one thing I noticed, just, and I don't have any, any data to support this, but it does seem like since you've started doing this, I have been seeing these newer masons showing up at stated in extra meetings. Well, Same here. Yeah, another thing, too, is what we try to do is make friends with these guys. When they come into a to the dinner before, we always have a dinner before our meeting. We get with them, we sit with them, we make them part of it. And what's happening is they're taking over committees. They're becoming active in the lodge. So this is working for us. Yeah, I think there are two things. Once I joined, I said five years ago, Jimmy and Larry were my first and second line signers, and I didn't know a soul in the lodge. Um, and it took me several years to really know a soul in the lodge. Uh, it wasn't for these two guys in all honesty, I don't know that I, I would have kept coming back. Uh, and I think that's, that is our, uh, as we look at the mentoring committee, we do things that I'm sure the, the Grand Lodge would not appreciate. Like we make them come to mentoring meetings. We make them come to um, dinners. We make them come and serve their, their brethren. I mean, we do things that... Yeah, that was nice at, our, at the one dinner. I saw like a couple guys uh, serving us dinner. And I'm like, uh, who's that? Um, and they're like, oh, he just got his first degree. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're actually 
you know, it, it was a really nice way to get to meet these guys and make them feel like they're part of the lodge when they're only uh, an apprentice. Yeah. Or, or, See, or, that, 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 that whole thing bothered me, though, that they had to come and serve. Because I remember when I was in the Navy and I was waiting to get into control tower school, they decided for six weeks to send me over to the galley, which is the place where you ate. And I was a freaking mess cook for six weeks. And that's what it kind of reminded me of. Hey, fellas, you're not going to go to your next degree unless you do some cooking and cleaning I don't up. think it was that forced. Yes, oh. it was. Oh, okay, good. It was terrible. It was. Yep. But we gave them the option. Now, some of them didn't come because they had to work or whatever, but basically we said, this is what we'd like you to do. And uh, we'll, t- we'll pick you up and bring you if we need to. And, and they buy it. I mean, and, and it is part of that, that interpersonal, that, that, that interpersonal kind of touching that we do. Oops, that's the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. Please no touching. In, in, inter, interpersonal directive that we that we give to the guys. <laughs> Show me on the doll where he touched you. <laughs> I'm not going there, Pete. Okay. <laughs> so now that we've got the guys in, um, you have seen, you have. Seen, I mean, a lot of these guys, recent guys, I've seen them at, at not only at breakfast. I've mm-hmm. seen them come. So, I mean, they're not just they're becoming good masons, they're becoming our friends. Yeah, a couple of them are in, in Grotto. Uh, we think we, 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 filled, we signed up with seven or eight from our lodge, I think, last, at the last Grotto. Uh, young guys are coming in. Young guys are getting involved. And that's the future of Freemasonry, as far as I'm concerned. We're having an uh, alum, uh, gosh, almoners dinner. I want to keep saying alimony. Almoners dinner tonight. That would tonight. be cheaper. Close. The head of the no, fellowship... The head of the fellowship committee, his name is Ron, basically is new as a new member, and he's taken on that responsibility, and he's doing the dinner tonight, and he's doing one bang-up job. He hasn't been a Mason for about year. a year, nice. a little bit over. Yeah. They're really, they're really coming in and doing a great job. Well, you have to tell me all about it, because I won't be there. I know they won't. I, I, well, this is my, my wife's first venture into Freemasonry, and she's not been allowed to come or... <laughs> expressed an interest to come to any of our Freemasonry uh, activities since I became a Mason. Well, Dick, I'm going to tell you that the, um, the, the true, what I believe is the true secret of Freemasonry is if you bring your wife to enough very boring, dry Masonic events, she is not going to ever care or question when you want to go to something. When I, I drug my wife to this uh, Tall Cedars initiation, which was a, a, a three and a half hour death march of boredom, and that has bought me so much good free time with my brethren, because uh, if I just say I want to go somewhere, she's just like, you know, have fun. Just go. I tell my wife about the snake that got loose and still running around the lodge. Yeah, it's still not funny, but we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll just keep listening to it. Yeah. See, I have this deal. I, when I go to Masonic events, I wear my, my wedding ring. And I told her that that's a requirement of Freemasonry, that if, you, if you're married, you have to wear your wedding ring. So she knows I'm going to Freemasonry activities as long as I have my ring on. Now, today I'm in trouble, but she will be able to hear this, I assume, somewhere down the line. Right, so you're in trouble. Yeah. So, Dick, you also, um, you mentioned Grotto, so that's a good segue. Um, you recently joined Grotto. Did. And, and we, we make it a, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're horses' asses, and we have a fun time. Um, you are not a drinker. No. So tell me, like, you know, just the take on that for, we have a few guys, like I know Mr. Hoover doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't imbibe either. Um, and he also seems to have a good time. So, you know, just let us know your opinion on, on, on our shenanigans. Uh, if you th- we think we should tone it back or how you, how you like it. I, I was hesitant about joining, to be honest with you. I quit about six and a half, seven years ago. And, um, it took me several years to decide that I wanted to give this a try. I was nervous about it. Uh, I, I stay away from, from bars and alcohol as much as I can. But I found it to be just as relaxing and, and normal as I've, I've ever experienced a bunch of guys. Nobody gets crazy. Everybody has a few drinks. and uh, Except for you and Scott. Except for you, me and Scott. But we don't, <laughs> yeah, sit, right. at the, we don't sit at the same table. Though. <laughs> right. <laughs> And apparently I've become the uh, designated driver for a couple of our new guys that just joined. So. Well, well, thank you for yeah. your uh, support. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is not a scary place to be if you don't drink. I guess that's the point. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, I, I just never wanted it to get that bad rap because it's, you know, we do have fun, but like, you it's know. A, it's a crazy couple hours. 
you know, and uh, I think that as long as you look at it from that perspective and, and don't dwell on the fact that you're not drinking, I think you're fine. Oh, as long as I've been going there, no one has ever, ever gone overboard. No. No, everything. Well, Larry, you're on so many medications. I mean, you have you have once you have your first glass of beer, you're kind of napping in the corner. <laughs> that's you know that's true, really, <laughs> and that's why Dick drives home. <laughs> so here's a uh, kind of we'll, we'll we'll transition now to a topic I talked about earlier. Um, there's a grotto out in uh, Ohio called Al Sirat Grotto, and there was a time back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s when they had upwards of 10,000 men on their ranks and they had a unit called the big six. The big six were six men. They're kind of dressed like the, uh, the guard of the wizard of Oz. Yeah. The flying monkeys. Yeah. So they have like, you know, the big beef eater soldier kind of hats they wear, they carry a huge ax. Um, it's just an absolutely ridiculous outfit. It looks like, like a British, like a red coat. Um, like you're John Philip Sousa and you're, you're in or the uh, Royal Guards at the the palace, yeah, with the tall fur hats. So, yeah, and it was supposed to be six guys that were all over six foot tall. Um, And then there's also a few extra costumes. I mean, let me fast forward. So their their grotto has dwindled in numbers, and that unit has not been active for a while. So they know that our grotto, Ubar, has been growing, and we have a lot of interest and activity. So they were kind enough to give us the big six uniforms. So yesterday in my driveway, we uh, went through all of the stuff and we have six big axes. We have all these beaver pelt hats. Um, I mean, this stuff's amazing. It probably, if we had to like replace it nowadays, it might be $10,000 or so to replace. There's um, different uniforms for guys carrying flags. It's just, uh, it's going to be a good time. So, uh, I all, look, you, all you need to do is find six masons that are six foot two. Well, yeah, we have a lot that we have a bunch that fit the height requirement, but uh, unfortunately, their their bellies are also as big as their height, and they may not fit the uniforms. Yeah. Age would be an issue as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I know I just put I put the uniform on in my driveway, and I wanted to pass out from the heat. So uh, wow. we need to find not just tall guys, but guys that are a little bit more uh, healthy and physically fit to be able to walk in a parade. So that'll be that'll be a good time. Larry, are you going to wear one? What? What? I'm not six feet. <laughs> oh, okay. And I'm safe as well. And I probably couldn't carry the axe. The axe is very heavy. Yeah. And um, it's worn on one end. So you can see most of the time they were like just setting it on the ground. Although I will revisit this once they replace my shoulder, I'll be probably able to carry the axe. So this is your second or third shoulder? No, first one. Okay. You're like- well, second surgery, but... Yeah, I don't want to go in that. Steve Austin, the $6 million man for you guys that aren't up on pulp culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, Larry's making, um, the, the Larry's crossing his legs. So we're going to go another break and we'll be right back. The Masonic Light Podcast is sponsored by MasonicScarves.com, home of unique Masonic-themed soccer scarves. Our scarves aren't printed. All of the artwork is knitted into the design. We can also do custom-made designs featuring your local lodge or commemorating an event. These make a great gift for visitors, members, or for fundraising. Visit our website at MasonicScarves.com and click on the Shop Now button to see our full catalog. At checkout, use code PODCAST and you'll get $5 off per scarf www.masonicscarves.com Hey, we're back, and we have a special guest here, um, an unexpected but welcome guest. Uh, we, when we took our last break, uh, we had uh, Jason Lewis popped in the door. He was our guest last week on the show, so welcome, Jason. Hello. So you were downtown. I was. So what were you downtown doing? Because when we tried coming here, we were going to start recording today at 10. But uh, we got trapped by traffic because the, the police and the, and, the, uh, and the parking cops have like everything blocked off and there's people poorly hanging plants in town. So what the heck is going on downtown? Yeah, the Leeds organization was hanging plants, part of their spring or summer fundraiser. And they're a beautification 
program. But then also I think that Open Streets, I think that's what it's called. Open Streets Lancaster is happening, which is a big vendor event up and down Chestnut Street out to Musser Park. Is it, oh, okay, so I thought it was Water Street. Water Street to Chestnut, I, I think. I mean, Water, I mean, Water Street's notorious for Lancaster. That's being the street where the prostitutes hang out. So that's probably really good to have a, a street festival there. Yeah, that's where Dick and I almost got arrested this morning, by the way. Well, that beats the Long Park's bathroom. But uh, if you're not from the area, you won't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're gonna so we're gonna segue this all into because we're talking about fundraising, and fundraising is a big part of Freemasonry, and it's also a thing that Dick hates. So, Dick, tell us a little bit more about fundraising and Masonic, and and put your grumpy pants on. We like it. I have my grumpy pants on most of the time. I joined Freemasonry because it was a fraternal organization where men would get together. And, and so L- L- Larry's uh, doing once again his uh, hand signals. Well, Dick's beating drums on the table. Uh, and well, you can say that. It's easier that than, than when, you, when you flail your arms like uh, Danger Will Robinson. When you start lap. doing that, then everybody stops and stares and try and think you're doing charades. It does, doesn't make good radio. Yeah, it's in my lap. Anyway... The uh, uh, it, it was never meant to be, in my mind, uh, uh, a charitable fundraising organization. I've spent, I spent a lot of years in the JCs and a lot of other nonprofit organizations where we raised funds, did a lot of it, sold. I was going to say I sold pretty much everything that can be sold, but you really have to tone that down a little bit. Right, but I mean, you sold your share of hoagies and cookies and yes. popcorn and anything you can sell as a fundraiser. My perspective is this. If you need to run a fundraiser to support your lodge, then you need to raise the dues to support your lodge. I think I think the fundraising for that purpose is absolutely out of bounds in Freemasonry. I, I think most of the things, at least in Lamberton Lodge, if we do a fundraiser, it's for a purpose that's not part of the budget. It's we're doing a a fundraiser for a charity on top of things. Then raise the budget. <laughs> Take the money out of the st- money we have stashed. I'm, I'm sorry, Pete. I, I, no, no, no. Don't uh, be sorry. I'm, uh, I, you, we, we enjoy it. We, we do pies. Uh, Lodge of Perfection does a pie, pies twice a year. They do apple dumplings in the summertime. And I, and, I, and I join in. I help them make their pies. I make them. I don't go door to door selling them, though. And, uh, but it is for a specific purpose. It's to, it's to support the Dyslexic Center. And it's a, it's a joint effort of a lot of lodges. I actually can buy into that because what we're doing isn't supporting our lodge. It's supporting the Dyslexic, dyslexic Center. Yeah, I, I, I am say. ADD and spent my years well, in education. Well, let me education. say one thing. That drum roll noise you hear in the background, that's Dick. He's basically... He, he's, he's pounding so, the table. He's so passionate. He's so passionate <laughs> about this. The table's being pounded. So just look at it as um, whatever. Yeah, whatever is good. So, so you're you're not into fundraising, and you're also not into. Uh, well, I don't sell I don't sell pizzas, and I don't sell hoagies, and I don't I don't participate, which is my which is my right, I think, yeah. as, as a Freemason. I uh, listen to the the spiel's that that go on, and I, I think the the supporting charities comes from us being a fraternal organization. It doesn't, the, the, the charitable giving does not make us a fraternal organization. And I think there's a real difference there. Um, I personally choose not to, not to sell subs or hoagies or pretty much of anything else. Uh, and, and, you know, my little thing about Freemasonry is I, my little pet peeve is like, I'm not going to the almoners dinner. Like I just, some of these, some of these dinners, um, I just, I'm just not into um, I do enough social Masonic things that, I don't know, I just don't need to drag my wife out to this dinner tonight. Well, to be on the positive side of that, one of the notes that I made for myself was that I needed to say, attend your Blue Lodge, support your Blue Lodge, regardless of where you go in Freemasonry, Scottish Rite, York Rite, wherever. Um, the Blue Lodge is, is the key to this whole thing, and I think I think... We have to support it. I'm going to the Almoners dinner tonight. Actually, I'm taking my wife. It will be the first time she's ever attended a Masonic activity. And uh, well, I think everybody needs to do something. So yeah, I do. When, when when I had it for years, I couldn't uh, Tuesday nights our stated meeting night. I couldn't go, but I did make sure I showed up on Thursday and did guide work. So whatever your little exactly. niche is, you try and do something. Yeah. 
Yeah. You do a lot of stuff, Jason. You're, you're secretary, right? Yep. Secretary and involved in a handful of other bodies. God bless you. Yeah. How's that working out for you? I'm busy. It's fun. I love it. Just just joined the board of directors of the Masonic Center, so that should be interesting. That's amazing that they yeah. let somebody in under 100. I know, right? So Doing maybe. my best to keep the average age down. Well, so you know, since we're talking about pet peeves, I have one. All, you can all add to this if possible. This quest that our Grand Lodge seems to be under to include families <laughs> in at least three or four meetings every year. You mean like the whole, like the open installation crap? The open installation, strawberry night, this night, that night. And also, there's a table lodge being held somewhere north of us where families can go to a table lodge. Why should we punish our families by making them sit through the most boring dinner they've ever had? I, I, I have a problem with that whole concept. I didn't join Freemasonry 42 years ago to have to do the thing with family once a, once a year. Ladies' night. We, we call it ladies' night in South Carolina. Here we call it our annual dinner. That's it. That's it. That's and my take. That's my so take. So, Jason, you're a Why? younger guy. So, uh, what, do you, what do you think about all of us old men being grumpy? Oh, man. Yeah, you guys are a grumpy bunch. I, uh, you know, the family stuff, it's a, it's a mixed bag. I like open installation, and I was really proud to go get installed as secretary. So, it was very nice to have my family there. But I see the other side of it, too. I mean, it's... Uh, it's an organization that I joined to, to you know, have good friends and make brothers with a bunch of men. And, uh, but at the same time, I mean, it is nice to have some family around. I mean, here's my thing. I think we do so many great things. And if we're going to share parts of our ritual and parts of our things that we do, that's really not the, just the greatest thing to share out there. I mean, that's where sharing something like, hey, um, watch, watch us pat ourselves on the back for you know being popular and having our our service recognized. That's nice. But I mean, we need to do a better job of the promoting like the good charitable things we do. Like, you know, Dick making pies that that's to me and, and raising money for the dyslexic center. I did see something in the local newspaper. There was a picture of our district deputy presenting a check. Like that's something where I think we we're lax in We're we're lax in promoting the good things we do for the community. If we want to really change people's views on Freemasons, that's the stuff we need to market. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, well, I guess we've, uh, particularly me and some of us have ruined the, uh, possibility of having the right worshipful grandmaster appear in this show. Well, no, I mean, he, I'd love to see him come here and, dr- and dress you down, <laughs> get you to tone down your shenanigans. Probably not. Oh, Okay. So we've got something else, uh, and I'm glad Jason's here. Um, we have a meeting tonight, and this is probably, like, I was telling the guys at breakfast this morning that um, this might be a good topic, because we finally maybe have an overall arc for this show, because that's going to go episode to episode. Jason and I, and, uh, and Larry as well, uh, we're involved in a discussion for starting a Masonic social club in Lancaster. Um, we don't have anything like that now, uh, anywhere where we can go and sit down and play a game of pool or smoke a cigar or play some cards or, you know, have a beer. We have nothing like that. So we started the discussions of starting a social club and boy, we're finding out it's a lot of work. So Dick, you've got a lot of experience in, in groups. So what do you have to add for, for our, uh, we're having our, our I guess our second It'll probably be our first meeting that has a lot of people there tonight to discuss setting this up. Certainly, it's not something that I've heard you talk about. My, fa- my grandfather was a, a mason in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Uh, he was also an elk. Why don't we just go and join the elks? Well, I am an elk. Oh, see, here you go. We already have the, uh, the building. We have the bar. We have the ping pong tables and the pool tables and the table shuffleboard. Why don't we just go and invade the elks? Become, become officers in that organization. And, and I say that with tongue-in-cheek, but in, in all seriousness, in, in Brooklyn, when my father, my grandfather was a Mason, I have his pin. And his Masonic pin is a Masonic pin with an elk on the bottom of it. And when I, when I did some research, I found that many of the Masonic lodges in, in Brooklyn, New York, and in a lot of places had, uh, I don't know that you'd call them joint lodges, 
with joint memberships, joint affiliations. Where the, and I and I don't I don't know that we want to go to the Elks until they put an elk out front, but. That's another story. Entirely. Well, there's an elk out front. No, there's a white-tailed deer out front. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do know when I joined the Elks, their, their oath and obligation um, starts out gangbusters, like the Masonic one. Yeah. And there was probably about eight Masons in the class. And so everybody's giving the oath and obligation. And, of course, the Masons just by we're on autopilot. We just continued and started giving ours instead of giving the, uh, the elk one. And there was a big roar of laughter from the crowd because apparently every single class, when there's Masons in it, we do it wrong. So that was fun. But that would save you some money. Well, it would it save us some money though? Cause the, the, the building downtown for the Elks is a, uh, is a behemoth. It is a tax nightmare. Um, they're fighting all the time to, you know, pay the bills and, and fix things. And one of the things I think that w- our goal for this organization is we don't want to, I don't want to go into the bar business. I don't want to manage a bar. I don't want to manage employees. Um, so I mean, I think, so we, we don't want to have a liquor license. We don't want to have a kitchen, a commercial kitchen. We basically want something just a step above a garage. <laughs> That we can go and sit down and, you know, have heat and air conditioning and televisions. So what's your thought on the whole thing, Jason? You're into the, you're into the idea. I like it. You know, and that whole Elks idea has been tossed around, you know, in the, the internet discussions on the Facebook groups about this. And I, you know, maybe long term, if this doesn't pan out, that's an option. But I, I like the idea of just going to lodge to socialize. And in the city, that's not possible because of the way our Masonic center is, is set up and dictated and, you know, a lodge like Ephrata, they have the ability, they own their lodge, they can mm-hmm. go and they can play pool. They have a pool table and they have a lot of social function that social, excuse me, social functions there. We don't have the ability to do that. And I think this is a great idea. Elks, maybe if this doesn't pan out, but having our own clubhouse, I think is a great idea. I just, I just know a bunch of us meet at a uh, cigar shop that one of our brothers owns. And when we go there, I always feel like we're, a group of guys invading somebody else's party because there's a group of regulars there that go there every day. And then, you know, the g- big gang of Masons, we come in there about once every two weeks and they just look like the regulars look really grumpy because we come in and we take over. Um, and that's the kind of the feeling I get about if we were to do that, because there's going to be a lot of overlap if we did join another organization and try to infiltrate and take it over there's going to be a lot of years where we're cohabitating and you know, they're going to feel like we're not fully immersing into their culture. They'd be right. So I just think it would just not be a, you know, a socially fun environment. Yeah, I agree. It would be, it would be nice. And I know how, how our grand lodge is in terms of making change and, and doing anything. But just to be able to take the, the second floor or the, or the third floor and, and make it into a, uh, a lounge area the way the way Ephrata has done, even without the alcohol, uh, I think would right. be, a, be a marvelous idea. Yeah, I'd love a place that I could come and sit down and watch a, a football game on Sunday and, and play pool or smoke a cigar. But at Jason, as the building committee uh, junior member, there's not a chance in heck of that is there. No, I highly doubt that would happen. I mean, the liability alone is is a immense cost. And, and, you know, we do rent that center out for some functions, but... Like I said in a message on Facebook, I mean, I think we deny maybe 90% of the uh, the requests. And frankly, the Masonic Center doesn't always need it, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pete, <clears throat> I hate to say it, but I forgot to take my heart pills this morning, so can we take a break? God, Larry, that's like 10 breaks. What do you want, what do you want a break for? I want a break. I need to take my pills. Oh, for God's sake. Today, more than ever, the fate of nations is led by a cabal of individuals and corporations. From the price of gas and basic necessities continually escalating, people are feeling like puppets with a chosen few pulling the strings. In other words, follow the money. In a fascinating work of historical fiction, The Red Serpent chronicles how the rich and powerful have prevailed through the centuries of history. 5,000 years after Sumerians bury the greatest wealth of knowledge the world has ever known, traces of it surface in the 20th century, along with omens and executions. The Vatican is in a frenzy to possess it. A secret society will stop at nothing to control it. 
and innocent people are doomed by obscure connections with it. In a bizarre quirk of fate, an obsessed French policeman, an alluring philology professor, an ex-Mossad rabbi, and a powerful Jewish family join forces to solve a triad of ancient puzzles. They must battle their way through Europe, outwit assassins, and dodge overwhelming foes. But how do they convince governments to aid them in their quest? What if they run out of time? And can they pull off the phenomenon that will change civilization forever? The Red Serpent by Larry Maris is available at Amazon, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble, plus fine bookstores everywhere. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're back here once again. Larry's got his uh, pants back zipped up and uh, back here with Larry and Jason and Dick. And now we're going to get into Reader Mail. So that's my Elvis uh, intro. That's awesome. Just awesome. Fan mail, hate mail. Today, we get, uh, we're getting fan mail, believe it or not. Uh, and we're going to read it, whether they don't like us or whether they like us. And part of the show is going to be devoted to that because we really like to hear from you. So, For God's sake, Larry, just read the fan yeah. mail. <laughs> uh, so, so, so please keep those cards and letters coming oh my god it's like a bad radio show from the 50s <laughs> okay this is the first one <clears throat> hi gents i'm a brother from brunswick united lodge 924 in victoria australia fantastic work with the podcast it's fun and interesting i love the fact that you guys are able to talk about the fun and practical side of freemasonry in lay terms I'll be promoting you guys down here in Australia and let me know if you ever need anything. Keep up the great work, fraternal brother Jack Aquilina from uh, Victoria, Australia. Awesome, awesome. Well, I, I think uh, brother Jack hits on a thing, and we mentioned this at breakfast. Um, the, the fraternal, the friendship, the practical, the side is where I think a lot of other shows and a lot of other Masons in general, when I look at Facebook, you know, people are so busy posting all this esoteric stuff, but like, do they ever go and out and hang out with a brother that's a friend? I mean, to me, that's like the main thing. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Dick, you always have thoughts on things. I was going to say beside Grotto and uh, Gridiron and Gooses. I don't, I don't think those conversations happen often enough. They do perhaps when the guys go out before a meeting and have a have a couple of beers and sit and, and chat, but I don't I don't think in any organized way that happens much in Freemasonry. I just think if more lodges did that and more lodges had like open conversations like, you know, two men sitting on bar stools next to each other, we get a lot more problems solved and we like each other a lot more. Agreed. Okay, next one. Hello brethren. My name is George, and I'm a newly raised Master Mason from Babylon Lodge, 793, from the Grand Lodge of New York, and I'm a Latter-day Saint, a.k.a. Mormon. And I like your show and the lightheartedness of it. If you have any questions that I'm able to answer about the similarities between church and craft, I'd be more than happy to help. Uh, also, I've made... Uh, he talks a little bit about his faith and so forth. Well, I don't want to read that because it's probably more personal. But, but I, I mean, I think that's our first show. If you haven't listened to these in order, we Larry brought up a, an article and the discussion a little bit. That's about, right. We had two shows, the first and second when we talked about it. Exactly. And, and, you know, we're uh, openly idiots when it comes to the, the topic of, of you know, the Latter-day Saint Church. So, yeah, we'll see if we can. Um, we're going to work on the um, the Skype thing if we can uh, make sure that sounds good to the listeners uh we'd love to have um have our brother george on the show yeah exactly and another one just wanted to let you guys know that i enjoy the show i loved hearing about the grotto and i'd love to hear more about tall cedars i don't know why but <laughs> <laughs> tall cedars um jason are you in tall cedars uh, yeah i was in your class that's right yeah so and dick same so all four of us were in the same class yeah, yeah. And, and to freak them all out, I really like my little green hat. You, well, you have a smaller head, so <laughs> that, that pyramid probably fits. So, yeah, um, we'll talk more about Tall Cedars. Maybe we'll get a, um, a more senior brother in here to talk about it because, uh, 
you know, we're four new guys. Our only experience was that, that three and a half hour death march of a meeting. Um, and they, they try to assure us that that is not the norm. Yeah. So uh, maybe we can get brother uh, Chris Gibson in here. He is a uh, he'd be good. He'd be thirty third degree. He's uh, been master of his lodge like eighty five times because nobody else ever steps up. Um, I think he's the head of lodge of perfection this year. Yes. So yeah, Chris is just an amazing guy, an amazing mason, um, and but he's also good to listen to. And I think he could. He's a past sapling or something, whatever the term is for tall cedars. I think he could talk a little more about it. Read. We got another one, and I'm very glad that Jason is joining us this morning. This is from Dave Kendig. He said, you guys are classic. Thanks for the content. Jason, if it was five bills instead of 20, would you have? Would that have swayed you? Uh, that what was is a question that? mark. What was that talking about? He's talking about his trip to Atlanta and a proposition. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, remember that? The Red Roof Inn? Oh, so if it was 100 bucks? Whatever. Or $5 but, total. Okay, I get but, it. But Jason made the terminal mistake of answering Dave Kendig. I did. Yeah. He says, Jason says, ha, probably not. Uh, maybe if he was a looker. <laughs> Hey, Jason. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. My uh, my friend Atlanta was not a looker, so try harder next time, Atlanta. <laughs> and the last one, uh, this is sent uh, to us also. And this, I don't want to call this uh, hate mail, uh, but this is, uh, well, anyway, let me read this. For God's sake, later. I just finished listening to your recent podcast. Like the others, I enjoyed it. One thing that caught my ear is Pete's comment about older folks grumpy having a hard time a harder time with modern stuff like technology it's kind of like how you have a hard time keeping your mouth near the microphone uh, yeah as a gerontology study of aging guy it seems that myths are being perpetuated i think pete may be surprised if he did a literature or google search for aging myths i look forward to your next podcast and that's signed mike now let me tell you a little bit about mike okay uh, retired professor. Uh, he moved uh, from the western part of the state to York County, more specifically Red Lion. Did when he got there? Did they issue him his Confederate flag as soon as I, he stepped got know, there? I don't know, but I think we failed his brothers to warn him about living in Red Lion. Uh, but anyway, uh, he, he he sent me some information about aging myths debunked. You want to hear him? Um, not really. Okay. But uh, let's go. Well, let's just, humor, just let's humor so you, our Just professor. so you know, uh, is it a myth that uh, old folks uh, have lower libido? It's a myth because a lot of them really mostly don't. It's a mind mind over matter thing. Dick, Dick, he's your buddy. So, so. Can, can, I, I am I am what I'm not normally. I can, am speechless. Can, can you tell Larry on his way home that like stick with being the straight guy and we'll be the funny guys <laughs> <laughs> grumpy old guaranteed mood grumpy old mood uh, well that's not a guarantee but anyway just so i brought this up so this would help our listener mike and red lion understand that we are uh, very much attuned to the fact that old people are a pain in the ass and they can't find they can't get their mouth near the microphone that's so. right <laughs> if i might have a comment from mike when i retired and got old and you're old and you have your face near the microphone so that's yeah, that well, means it's not common I'm not sure what that means, Pete. <laughs> and at any rate, I read something uh, from from Acts, and, and it said basically that uh, young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And I decided about that point in my retirement that that sure as hell wasn't going to happen to me, because I still have visions. I may not be around to see the end of them, but we do have them. Well, well thank put. you so much. Well put. Well, we're getting the uh, the we're we're we've got about ten minutes left in our show, so uh, we we may uh, we may skip a little um, to spare you guys some extra torment. Uh, so, Larry, anything else you want to add, add uh, before we get going? No, other than the news, no. Okay, well, go jump into the news quickly then. All news not fit to print. Sonic Light News. There is an inquiry into the Titanic disaster, as to it being whitewashed. By Freemason members. This is hitting the news in Europe, incidentally. Uh, almost a hundred and some years later, we're being blamed. A once secret list of Freemasons may have been implicated in the sinking of the Titanic. 
and totally escaped without punishment. According to the reports, the list includes heads of the Titanic Inquiry Committee, including the Board of Trade President Sidney Buxton, a British investigation into the 1912 tragedy, which left more than 1,500 people dead, failed to blame the British Board of Trade for a lack of safety regulations. I really wish this show would hit an iceberg so we could end the segment. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it goes on and on and on. And actually, even the actual builder... Uh, an owner of the shipyard, Harlan and Wolf, who built the ship, he also was a Freemason. There is a, f- a fellow that wrote this new book, Titanic Expert, by Nick Compton. said the Titanic inquiry in Britain was called a whitewash because it exonerated most everyone involved. Only three passengers were interviewed, and all of them were for first class. Even the captain of the ship was exonerated on the grounds that most other ships at the time were known to speak through the oh ice. I have no idea what this man talks about. I, I can only conclude. You have a whole internet. You have a whole internet worth of news you can pull from, and this is the yes, kind of crap yes, that you find for the show. But this is important. We're being blamed for everything. There is a common theme running throughout these newscasts. Leonardo DiCaprio's dead. There was plenty of room for him on that raft. That's all we need to know about. Well, let me, let me sum it up. Please. I can, I can only conclude from these reports of Mason's run amok that when it comes to solidarity of the brotherhood, blood really is thicker than water. And I am not going to read... Especially ice water. I am not going to read the canned jokes that you have here highlighted for me. Um, See, Dick or known, Jason, do you have I, anything to add to that enlightening I've article? I've been for 45 years, and he hasn't changed well, one bit. You know, it's been a long 45 well, years. Well, you've, 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 you've heard the story. How are we going to sell your books when people are reading this? And you're like, oh my God, I can't read his damn book. He's just going to be drowning on. It must be riveting. <laughs> oh, my wife's falling overboard. Hold the wife, folks. Oh, I've got right. to update my Facebook. Larry, enough jokes. What's the next, the next news, news thing? Next one. You're not allowed to use jokes. Okay, next one. This is uh, from a local lodge, <clears throat> Golden Meadows Lodge. is celebrating their 250th anniversary, and we want you to be a part of that celebration. Pudding tasting and wheelchair demos will be happening in the social room. There will be a bingo tournament hosted by Samuel Glickstein, past master from 1910, and a special treat, Master Masons are invited to the lodge room at 1 p.m. for a special presentation of the lima bean degree. And please, if you bring your children, keep them off our damn lawn. That's the news for the day. Oh, my God. All right. uh, Thank you, Larry, for the news. And um, so anything... uh, so that's probably we're going to take a couple of weeks off because uh, I have to digest that uh, that that newscast. Uh, Larry's going on a uh, a tour of Europe uh, to put Europeans to sleep. Um, so we'll probably be back after that. A um, couple little things we'll wrap up with. Uh, or Jason, do you have anything to say before we go? No, thanks for having me. Let let me crash. And Dick, do you have anything to add? No, I'm good. Thanks. And uh, so we've got uh, Larry. Would you like? I'll I'll let you read one more thing. Go ahead and read our little our, our commercials, and we'll get out. Well, of here. basically, we do want to uh, thank uh, Lancaster Podcast Studios for continuing us uh, to continue to allow us to be, meet here and broadcast, and we do thank the producer very much for all the help he gives us. Uh, also, again, it's time to uh, thank our producer Rocco Ruggieri. Did he ever come home? I have no idea what you're talking about. Move along. Uh, okay, whatever. And, uh, and again, I want to give special thanks to our news director, Ima Blather, and our foreign con- correspondent, uh, Nada Worthy, uh, who likewise, we have no idea where she is. I hope she's safe wherever. And uh, basically, we close the show by saying we, uh, we like to give credit to a law firm, which incidentally, I really found out. I always thought since the Three Stooges and Groucho Marx, that this was a fictitious law firm, and it is not. Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe is an active law firm in New York City and have been benefiting by everybody talking about their their, their uh, letterhead or whatever, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. So essentially, we're not going to give that plug anymore. And I did it the past few weeks in honor of Tom Magliozzi, the Clappet Brothers, yeah, the, yeah, whatever they had, oh, the wow. car, talk, car Talk, the Clappet Brothers. 
I think that's what they were, weren't they? Anyway, the old guys. I think Larry had a stroke. He dug his hole. He had to lay it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so essentially, we're not represented by them. We never were. I want to give that shout out. And Hopefully, thanks, our producer can just fade the show into nothingness. Thanks to the brother from New York who brought that to our attention, by the way. So we have a new law firm representing, oh. <laughs> representing us, okay? Larry, the show's canceled. <laughs> It's the fictitious law firm of Swindler, Steel, and Corrupt, and they're going to be helping us out in the future. Oh, okay, folks. I, I, I can't. I can't even. So uh, thank thank our two guests for coming in today. And um, if there's anything else, we'll add it in post-production. And this is Larry Maris. Dick Kenna, thank you for inviting me. And thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye.